I am a child of God. Having my hand, powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say their name and say God's going to talk to you today. Go ahead. Thank you, Tyler Thomas, for sending me a text. I don't know how to do that heart thing. How you do that heart thing? <laughs> See, you don't think I noticed, did you? Send me a, send me a text message. I know. Especially if it's a good one. Okay, look back at your neighbor and say, did you hear me? Okay, now look at him and say, I love you. If you're sitting by yourself and you don't have anybody to talk to, just look at yourself and tell yourself that you love me. Continuing on our series, we're in week 15 or 16. I can't remember which one. Starting to bleed together now. But uh, the beginning of the end is the title for today. We're going to be looking in those Bibles that you held up. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings 17, 2 Chronicles. And Isaiah, we need to remember that the Bible is not written in chronological order, even though that's how we're kind of looking at it. And to kind of recap, to let us kind of catch up, those maybe missed a Sunday or two, and also on our website, rocjinx.org, online features, all the messages pop up. If you have a hard time falling asleep at night, put one of those on, should take care of it. At least it works for my wife. But we're going through a period of a divided kingdom. Last Sunday, we saw where God sent some messengers. We had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had 19 different kings. All of them were godly men who followed the Lord. Amen? Okay. Out of 19, at least 10 of them followed the Lord. Out of the 19, at least 15 of them. Out of the 19, at least 18 of them followed the Lord. Out of the 19, zero of the northern kingdom of the kings followed the Lord. In fact, they brought in false idols. They brought in uh, idol worship. False gods. Southern kingdom really wasn't much better. Only a handful of good kings in the southern kingdom. Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. It's important to remember about Jerusalem. It's all going to rise and fall on Jerusalem. Get ready. If you don't think world prophecy has anything to do with the world situation the way it is, wake up. Wake up, please. If you haven't read the book called Harbinger, get it and read it. You'll go, hmm. At the minimum, you'll go, hmm. Okay? (laughs) We don't have much longer. 
And the church is getting more apathetic every day. There was a period, though, when God's people only knew rebellion and idolatry. Let's take a look at our first section of Scripture. 2 Kings 17 says, This disaster happened because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought, their, uh, brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they had worshipped other gods. And then uh, down to 12. They served idols, although the Lord told, uh, had told them, you must uh, not, not do this. Still the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to all the law that I commanded your ancestors and sent, you, sent to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. Instead, they became uh, obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. So this sets the stage for why they were in trouble. Now, parents, when your children act the way these verses just read, what does that want? What does that create in you as a parent? It creates in you a desire to go ahead and end their life as soon as possible. It creates within you, at least at the minimum, an opportunity to beat them from one end of, of, of the house to the other end of the house. It creates within you an opportunity to want to pray for them with both hands around their neck as you squeeze tightly. Have I hit home yet? Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Spoken by the parents. And then, of course, the children do what Israel did. They look at you with those puppy dog eyes. And if they're a little girl, sometimes they get tears to run down their face. Maybe boys, too. <laughs> but I don't They just got that look and that pucker and that, that, you know, it starts to shake. And so we ease up the grip. God, however, didn't ease up the grip. He had sent prophet after prophet warning them, if... That's a big word, isn't it? If. How many times as a parent have you said, or a grandparent have you said, if. Well, if you don't follow through with the if, guess what? Not going to be much behavior change. Or they'll just rebel deeper and they'll just run away. They'll just say, hey, you don't know anything. You're stupid. Great. Then you withdraw the credit cards. You withdraw the money. You withdraw everything that they, that's theirs. <laughs> Let them live outside with the dogs in the back. In fact, they need to go to some other yard, don't they? Why are they in your yard? Well, they're hungry. Well, too bad. Go find something to eat somewhere. Now, Cindy always tells me when I preach like this, she goes, yeah, but you would never do it to your own kids. I said, well, but our children never acted this way, dear. <laughs> oh, there were plenty of times when all three of them needed to be sent to someone's house beside mine. Permanently if they needed to go. You see, God's character is on the line by how we behave and by how we carry ourselves. He can only allow things to go so far. And the northern kingdom had stepped way over the line. Because in the first two commandments of the ten that God established, God said, don't have any other gods before me. 
I am the Lord your God. So you see, he was very clear in what he wanted in the behavior of the nation and children of Israel. Well, guess what, folks? We don't follow the Ten Commandments anymore, do we? Or do we? Jesus, Jesus said, they're summed up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. That's the first five. The second five are in this statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, if we're living according to the way Jesus wants us to live, we're still going to live within the perimeters of the Ten Commandments anyway. If we just live that way, how much better life would be? But we think we have a better way. We think we have a more sophisticated way. We think that the Bible is archaic and old and out of date. And we somehow have come up with a new way to do it. So Sennacherib and the Assyrian Empire arrive. God withdraws His hand of blessing. You do not want that phrase used about you. That God has withdrawn His hand of blessing. Because if He withdraws His hand of blessing, it's not going to be pretty. He's still blessing Israel because they were dear to His heart. But every Jew, every Israeli person who hasn't yet named Jesus as their Messiah and Savior will need to do that before He returns. God has a special provision for them. And one for us, as long as we're in the protection of His hand of blessing. The kingdom of Israel then is sacked and removed and described as a lost tribe because Sennacherib and the Syrian Empire... Woo! Wiped them out. So God removed them from His presence. Again, you do not want that put in your life and on your life that God's going to remove His blessing from you and remove you from His presence. You don't want that. You don't want to get cocky and go around thinking you've got it all under control. See, that's what happens to us as believers. We get cocky. We get really cocky because we believe that we're under, you know, we've been through the water of baptism. We rose to walk in a new life. Woo! That's it. I'm covered from now on. I can sin like the best sailor out there. Apologies to my sailor friends. And think it's going to be okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to spit in the face of God. It's not okay to keep sinning and just claim, well, He loves me anyway. I'll just keep on sinning. That sounds like Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. Strongest negative word ever used in the, in the New Testament is right there. May it never be. Well, the southern kingdom is watching the northern kingdom. That's kind of like a little brother watching an older brother. <coughs> southern kingdom's watching. You know, maybe you've had a friend that got messed up in finances. And you sit back watching them and going, man, that ain't never going to happen to me. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Or maybe you've had a family member who has destroyed their marriage because of whatever reason. And you've watched and you said, hmm, boy, that'll never happen to me. Maybe your 
parents weren't good parents. And so you would say to yourself, boy, I am never, ever, ever going to be like that. After the northern kingdom falls, Assyria puts the southern kingdom in their sights, or in its sights. And it appears it will fall in the same way, except, except, there's a guy named Hezekiah. Let's take a look at Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18. He was 25 years old when he became king and reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, or Abby, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and uh, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made for the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. He called it Nehustan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to Yahweh and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. So we see in Hezekiah a return, a stand, a person who understood what it meant to have the character of God living in them. He was a leader who inspired the people, not necessarily because of his leadership ability, but because of his great faith. Oh, that we would have a leader leading us as a nation that did it with great faith. We need leaders, plural, in our state. Lord have mercy. In our nation, in our churches, in our own personal lives. But he's a leader who inspires. Second Chronicles 32. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid of or discouraged before the king of Assyria or before the large army that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. He has only... Human strength, but we have Yahweh our God to help us and to fight our battles. So the people relied on the words of King Hezekiah of Judah. Now, I don't know about you, but as long as you've got God on your side, I don't need anybody else. Yeah, I don't need Him. Don't need Him at all. You don't either. You can be the littlest person in the world. And have God on your side and you're the tallest and the biggest and strongest person in the world. I don't care what problem it is. I don't care what struggle it is. I don't care what wall is in the way, what obstacle is in the way. With God, it can be overcome. Well, our church basketball team proved that this week by beating the number one team in the league by 20-something points. I asked Jeff Parmer, I said, were you hot that night? He said, I scored my two points and that's all I do. But the Assyrians came to the border of Judah. They threatened and were threatening. And the king of Assyria sends an envoy to Jerusalem. Let's see what what he said. This is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says. (coughs) What are you relying on that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? Isn't Hezekiah misleading you to give you over to death by famine and 
thirst when he says, Yahweh our God will deliver us from the power of the king of Assyria? Didn't Hezekiah himself remove his high places and his altars and say to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar? You must burn incense on it? Don't you know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Have any of the national gods of the lands been able to deliver their land from my power? Who among all the gods of these nations that my predecessors completely destroyed was able to deliver His people from my power that your God should be able to do the same for you? So now, don't let Hezekiah deceive you and don't let him mislead you like this. Don't believe in him for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver His people from my power or the power of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my power. <laughs> I love it when Satan likes to brag, don't you? Sennacherib, he gives Hezekiah a chance to surrender. And Hezekiah, shaking in his boots, says, Okay. Hezekiah says, No. No. Won't do it. In fact, today there is a tunnel... In Jerusalem, because what Sennacherib did is he surrounded the walls of Jerusalem and he said, you can't get out to get water. Well, Hezekiah found a tunnel and they went underground and they got the water and they brought it back and so they kept the people alive. That tunnel's still there to this day. You can even go through the tunnel now. It gets, it gets smaller and thinner and tighter the further in you go. So some of us don't go in Hezekiah's tunnel. Take for granted that it's there, read the sign, and move on. Okay. But maybe right now there's an army camped outside your walls. The odds are against you are overwhelming. The truth be told, you're kind of afraid because the enemy is saying not even God can save you from this. Not even God can put your marriage back together. Not even God can get you out of this financial situation that you've gotten yourself into. Not even God can break that addiction that you've been held hostage to for so long. Not even God. Not even God. And the loss is inevitable. So what can we do? Well, the king of Assyria, flexing his muscles, doesn't realize that there's a showdown that's coming. And what does King Hezekiah do? Second Chronicles 32. King Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. Now in the next verse, in 21, I don't have it up there, but in 21, it tells what happened. But I want to read a different account of that over in uh, uh, 2 Kings 19. Now listen to this. That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and he left. He broke camp and he left. Because when the people of Israel got up, the angel of God had had killed 185,000 people. And so... Hezekiah and his men didn't have to lift a finger. That's the provision of God. That's God's hand of blessing on them as a nation because of the leader, Hezekiah. 
God showed up. What was it that caused God to bless this southern kingdom? I don't believe that there's, it was some secret formula. Follow this. Pray this. Say this. I, I don't think there was any, any formula. But there is something to living a life that God will bless. God blessed King Hezekiah and then obviously the kingdom of Judah. Why? Let me give you a couple of verses. Verses 2 Kings 18. The Lord was with him, and wherever he went, what does it say? He prospered. He prospered. Second Chronicles 32. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for, for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the Lord's wrath didn't come on them during Hezekiah's, how long? Lifetime. Lifetime. Like Hezekiah and the nation of Judah, two things they did that we need to do in order to stay in restoration with God, in reconciliation with God, and to stay in connection with God. The first one is they need to make a commitment to purity. A commitment to purity. Now, as I was preparing this week, I ran across this list from the FDA. Federal, what is it, Federal Drug Administration? Is that what the FDA is? Well, they're the ones that define the purity standards for food that we eat. Now, that's right before lunch. This will be a good time to go through this. Because I have to tell you up front, it's a little bit disturbing, but I want to share it anyway. So here we go. The FDA standard for purity for apple butter. Some of you, any of you have that this morning on your toast or muffins or anything? Apple butter? I love apple butter. How many of you like apple butter? Okay, good. You may not have had it today, and you may not have it ever again. But you'll be glad to know that the mold count, that if the mold count is 12% or more, if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, if it averages five or more whole insects per 100 grams, that the FDA will protect you from that apple butter. Otherwise, it'd be all right to put on your buttermilk biscuits. How about coffee beans? Coffee beans will get withdrawn. And I know I've gone from preaching to meddling. I'm with you. Coffee beans will get withdrawn from the market if an average of 10% or more are insect infested. Or if there's one live insect in each of two or more immediate containers. <coughs> How about mushrooms? Thought you'd want to know. The FDA says that They can't be sold if there's an average of 20 or more maggots of any size per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. (laughs) FDA. How about fig paste? If there are more than 13 insect heads per 100 grams of fig paste in each of two or more subsamples, the FDA will ruthlessly toss it from the shelves. Lastly, hot dogs. You're right. It's too, way too disturbing to even even bring up here because we're going to be having lunch pretty soon. Purity. Purity. We keep hearing that this is what God wants from His nation and I also believe He wants from us. He wants pure hearts clean hands. He wants lives that are 
pure before Him. He wants people to reflect His true character. 2 Kings 18. He removed the high, uh, high places. Shattered the sacred pillars. And cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made for the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. And He called it Nehushtan. We read that earlier. But I want you to see again what happened and what Hezekiah did in restoring purity to the land of Israel, to the land of Judah. And then in 2 Chronicles 29, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the Lord's temple and repaired them. He then brought in the priests and Levites and gathered them in the eastern public square. He said to them, Hear my Hear me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of Yahweh, the God of your ancestors. Remove everything impure from the holy place. (coughs) They gathered their brothers together, consecrated themselves, and went according to the king's command by the words of the Lord to cleanse the Lord's temple. The priests went to the entrance of the Lord's temple to cleanse it. They took all the unclean things they found in the Lord's sanctuary to the courtyard of the Lord's temple. There, the, uh, then the uh, Levites received them and took them outside to the Kidron Valley. It's really important that we keep the house of God clean and pure. We don't need stuff that doesn't apply to God in the house of God. And so we need to be careful about some of the things that we do. Don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Or we don't need to take the pendulum and swing it way far one, one way. We need to keep a balance. We like the blessing of God, but we don't want to deal with the work and the brokenness that purity requires. It says that they cleansed the temple and brought things out into light. And I believe with all my heart that when you bring things to light, God can do great things of restoration. He can do a lot to heal. In 1 John 1.9, we have a passage that really addresses this in our life. It says, if we confess our sins, read it with me. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, from all unrighteousness. So see, it's important to expose sin. Cockroaches do their work in the dark. And when you turn the light on, you hope you don't see them scattering across the floor. Because you've got a bigger problem if you do. But they can't stay where there's light. And I'm going to compare a cockroach to the devil. The devil does his best work in the dark. Expose him to the light of day. And that light is the sunlight of Jesus. You expose him to Jesus and he'll leave. Doctors will tell you that if you, have a, if you have a cut, expose it so that healing comes. If you keep it covered up, it'll just, it won't heal as quickly and as well. So we need to be about the business of opening our sin to the Lord. That's what, it, that's what that verse says. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Bring it into light. And since Genesis chapter 3, our tendency has been to hide the sin that we have from God. Cleansing and healing takes place when we do the opposite of hiding it, but we expose it. (coughs) There's times when you need to literally find a friend 
and expose the sin in your life and be accountable to somebody else. But until we're ready to do that, we can't expect the blessing of God to come in our life and to be over our life. What in your life do you need to address? What needs to be cleared up with God? What needs to be repented and confessed? You see, Hezekiah later develops an issue with pride. He repents of that pride and God returns, returns the blessing. And the great message there is that when we've messed up, take it back to God, expose it for what it is, confess it, and then He will restore the blessing back to us. That's what He says. Time and time and time again. So what do you need to commit to purity? An addiction that you can't seem to get rid of, a relationship that needs to end, a subscription that needs to be canceled, a secret sin you need to confess to a friend, a commitment to purity, and then secondly, a commitment to prayer. Second Kings 19. Now Lord, our God, please save us from, this, from His hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. You see, when victory comes, it's not what we've done, it's what God's done in us. Acknowledging our desperation for Him and our dependency on Him in this verse, God, we need you. You know, I like to watch little kids. Little kids are amazing. But little kids are resilient. They, they want to do it themselves. Leave them alone. Let them do it themselves. I think that's built into all of us, isn't it? Pride, though, keeps us going in that way, and, and we'll say, oh, I've got this, I've got this. <coughs> we, be, we become so self-sufficient that we don't think we need God. But what is it that right now you need to commit to quit trying to fix, quit trying to do yourself, quit trying to own yourself, and tell God, I can't do it by myself, I need you? What is it? Identify it. Open it. Expose it. King Hezekiah got it. He knew that the way he lived reflected God's character. He knew that if his kingdom survived an attack from the Assyrian army, that everyone would know that God is who he says he is. He knew it wasn't about him, but it was about Almighty God. (coughs) And then King Hezekiah dies, and his son Manasseh becomes king. 2 Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became the king and reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that uh, the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He became one of the worst kings of Judah. Instead of seeking God, Manasseh sought the counsel of sorcerers. He threw his own son into the fire as a sacrifice to a pagan god. And you might say, are are you kidding me? How many babies, how many babies have we thrown away? Fifty-four million, if you must know, since 1973. 334,000 just last year. Only through the organization of Planned Parenthood. That's the 334,000. That doesn't account for all the other ones. And the question I have is, what's happening to all those aborted babies? 
You might want to investigate that. One thing I heard caused me to be ill. Caused me to be ill. But you see this cycle. Sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. The people of Judah would soon find themselves in bondage and the prophet Isaiah reassured them that after a period of time, God would bring them back home. And not because they deserved it, but to keep His promise to David and proceed with His plan to give everyone a chance to have that relationship with Him. There's no coincidence that in Isaiah, we begin to read a prophecy after prophecy about Jesus. 700 years before He was born, Isaiah says that we have hope. Let's take a look in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Spirit of the Lord, God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom in the, to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. In Luke 4, when Jesus began His ministry, He read that very passage and Closed it with today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <coughs> it could be that you're thinking, you know, preacher, I'm getting kind of tired of the Old Testament. It was sin, repent, sin, repent. There didn't seem to be any grace. There didn't seem to be any mercy. And you know what? I really think that's the whole point of it. It's for us to get sick and tired of trying to do it ourselves. To get sick and tired of trying to be the answer ourselves. I mean, God gave the law. That didn't work. He gave them kings. That didn't work. He gave them prophets. They didn't want to listen to. Nothing seemed to work. And so Isaiah writes these words in Isaiah 53. But He was pierced because of our transgressions. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him. And we are healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. And we all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. You see, God will send a Son who will take sin and destroy it on our behalf. He now is our only hope. And we're seeing it all the way back in the Old Testament that He now is our only hope. He is the only one who can actually save us. Father, we ask You this morning to do a work in each of our lives, especially those who've heard this message today, that, Father, they would in turn begin to make some changes in themselves that would cause them to walk closer to You. Father, all of us need to do some self-examination. All of us have things in our life that we put in Your way, in Your place. May we repent of those. May we confess those and expose them to the light of Your Son and Your promises. If we'll do that, You'll cleanse us from it. So, Father, I'm praying for a great cleansing in Your people today. In Jesus' name, Amen.